Hi there, you're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then, dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. You're so cute. I know, right? Look at you. I can't believe you're so cute. Is that a thing? Yes. Sia. And Sia scuttles off of your shoulders and goes to wrap up Weeziva to give her a hug because the only thing Sia likes better than you is two of you. <laughs> this is so weird. Yeah, everybody, how's this for, how's this settling in for you? Nari, your baby sister is standing next to your grown baby sister. Oh, this is fantastic. Somebody to share my existential crisis with, finally. There's another one of you too, eh? Oh, there's a few of us. Anyway, mom will be thrilled. Oh. Yeah, she's working. You'd probably go see her. She dreams about working. Well, if she was dreaming, yeah. Anyway, I gotta go find Nari. Bye. And she runs off. I turn around and I look at Nari. I'm like, oh my god, there's a little baby Nari. She goes running right past Nari, too, by the way. I look over at Aravet. Like, can you imagine him? Little? I bet you he was just as fiendish as he is now. <laughs> bet, can you roll insight for me, please? Lots of good 17. If we see was looking for Nari, why did she run past the guy standing to your left and slightly behind you? Nari. <laughs> How does it make you feel that your little sister, well, your little little sister, recognized herself, but not you? I I'm, can't say I'm overly bothered. That's... Uh... 
It happens a lot to me, frankly, sometimes by design, sometimes not. What did you look like as a child? And right then, your feet have taken you to the door of McCondell Laundry. You both stood out here many's the time, Nari, from running to like to get pennies from your mom or drop off her change to, uh, you know, picking her up after work, whatever. You've stood exactly where you are now, both of you, hundreds of times in your day. The thing is, Macondo Laundry is a shithole, right? It is half a farthing for 10 pounds of laundry. It's hard work, it's brutal standards, and it's no money. And this is where your mom busted her ass for years and years and years until Nari took her out of here and put her in the meadow. Here you are, standing outside of the place. The doors are wide open. There is the stream of laundry going out on laundry baskets and the big heaping carts with baskets just thrown in being pushed in to the indoor. The place is monolithic. And honestly, those are the rest of you standing around. This place is much bigger and more imposing than any place that washes clothes has a right to be. I mean, it looks like a federal prison from the angle that you're standing and looking at it. This place seems like bigger than I remember. Because it's not the place, it's the dream of the place. It's even worse. Maybe I'm remembering it from like being half this high, you know? Don't these things usually seem smaller than when we were kids? I guess. always seemed like this big scary thing that would take mom away I guess so well should we honest question should we go in and try to find and say hi to mom or is this exactly the wrong time and the place for that sort of thing to happen I don't know but like maybe mom can help pull us through who knows Let's just get it over with. And she'll just step inside. Yeah, I'll follow, follow her lead. As Nari and Ziva step inside, from those of you who remain slightly behind, you see that they are enveloped in the swirling, steaming mists common to laundries, if you're familiar with the district. Um, the whole fog stays suspiciously inside the door. I say suspiciously because fog is no respecter of doorways. If they're open, it's just going to go through. But this, no, this stays right at the threshold. Looking at the windows of the place, they sweat. Like water is always dripping down the panes and they're always fogged heavily as though, you know, like your mirror during a shower. Um, uh, and literally, as soon as the Hulu kids step into the doorway, they are enveloped by the steam. Like, it's two steps and the trail of Ziva's ball gown, which she's still wearing, vanishes into the mist. Shall we, gentlemen? Indeed. 
I put my hand on my rapier and step through the fog. Arabette likewise vanishes into the mist. There's a step, and his uh, the last view of his rapier, which is the last thing to go, vanishes into the mist. He's invisible from where you stand. I shall follow. Calder. Yes, sir. These are the lower chambers, closer to the heart of the earth, and are therefore warmer. And this is where the elders come to soak in the great steaming pools. Have I ever been here before? This is your first time. Excellent. It will be your second time meeting the head of house. And so you are approaching on all fours as he is prudent, respectful. Your head is tilted. Your eyes are not watching him. Your neck is exposed. Your tail is low and neutral. And you are not good at walking like this. Yes, but uh, such is the price for an audience. When you enter the cavern, there are a couple of hundred wisp-like drift globes wandering around the vast cavern. And in this cavern sits a geothermal lake. And in this lake soaks the long, sinuous bulk of the ebon-scaled head of your house. I make sure that I'm uh, in an appropriately respectful position, and I wait as I would not deign to speak before spoken to. When he opens his mouth, there is the smell of acid. The weight of his acerbic opinion. You know, that cutting remark, which literally can dissolve an artist's entire career. All around him in this cavern, there are artifacts held in various positions of honor. None of these are held so dearly as the brass-handled kukri. Just a kukri, big enough for you to hold, in fact. It looks tiny, but the way he has it up on this pedestal, behind where he bathes, it's the highest position of honor. Look, this is the look at me spot in his whole impressive panoply. All right. Your mother tells me that you seek a trade. I'm honored that you would take the time to listen to my request. I was shocked to hear of this at first, and then insulted. That you think for a second that one of your polluted bloodline should carry the honor of creating works of magical wonders with my name on them. Smacks of hubris that I can't even imagine. I would turn you out, but you are young and may yet learn your lesson. I bow even further and uh, work very hard 
to speak without gritting my many teeth and say, as you see fit. I can smell the filthy ozone on your breath from here, Kalidur. Must you linger? I back out of the room. As you turn, like you back out of the room to the mouth of the cave that leads to the chamber. And as you turn around, I need you to make an insight check, caller. Natural 20. That's 26. You step out of this cavern and shake it off. This has never been a pleasant memory. Then your chest fucking stings. Like it, it, it makes you draw a sharp breath. And then the memory fades and you stand up to your full seven and a half feet in height with your bulletproof coat. And you look around the room and see that everybody is standing around this foyer kind of lost. Most curious. I get out my monocle and take a look. Do I see anything? Yes, the room is thick with enchantment illusion and all of them are looking off somewhere else some when else Ziva yes you know you're not supposed to date but I gotta stop talking to myself he's really handsome and yeah it's like it's fascinating I never uh, like just our conversations he always has so many thing, interesting things to say. You're waiting down by the train station and, you know, you, this is where you come and you meet and you, you walk along by the tracks and across and out by the shore. And the 602 comes in from the North Helheim Express and there's this big puff of steam and I need you to make an insight check, please. Uh, 18 plus 1 to 19. He's going to be here any minute, right? Oh, man. It's going to be so awesome. You can't wait. And there's Calder. and Hey, Calder. Calder's there. Wait a minute. Calder. That's a dragon. You know a dragon. You know that that dragon's name is called... Something is wrong, Ziva. Somebody's fucking with your mind with magic. Delilah, what have you come up with? Delilah has come up with several creative new swears and also annoyance at the fact that for all the magic she knows, none of it will lead her to Ursa. But she knows that there's a diviner that will help. Indeed, there is. Your diviner has set up shop at the foot of Copperpenny Road. So you are on your way over there. And as it would happen, as you walk along the glitz and glamour of Copperpenny Road with all the flashing signs and boardwalks and things like that heading to your diviner whose name is madam miriam madam miriam and uh madam miriam's got that little thomic glowing sign in her window it's like expert palmistry and only the truth and all of the things you see in these diviners you know beware only truth spoken here that sort of thing these little oracle shops that people set up these mom and pops right I mean, really, that's the only kind of oracle to go to. The the big chains never have any good. Uh, they grind them out of the universities these days, and then they get the corporate jobs, and it's just vagaries. Well, yeah, things are going to get better, and then they're going to get worse, and then they're going to get better, and then they're going to get worse. 
great. That's your big magical education. Right? Who doesn't, who can't see that future? Yeah, dress it up, but there's people who don't have a lick of magic who can do that sort of shit. It's the mom and pops, exactly, like you said. Those are the ones you want. Because they're hungry, right? They do this for a living. It's a craft. Often a curse, but you do what you can with what you have. I've gone on about the dignity of the trades long enough. As you're heading to Miriam's, uh, you're crossing the street when you see that there are a few fellas that you know don't work for Thrasher, but are guilds folk. Well, I knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Could have picked a more convenient time. Well, yeah, Thrasher's people are generally in evidence around here because this is Thrasher's neighborhood, right? Yes, they usually are. These guys are conspicuously not Thrasherites. Well, then I need to know what they're doing here, and if I can find that out eavesdropping, all the better. Well, they're looking at you, in fact. Well, that won't do. And uh, now you notice that two of them, the one across the street and the one standing over by the newspaper box leaning up against the telegraph pole. Well, he's not leaning on the telegraph pole anymore. Neither is the one on the on the other side of the street. But instead is crossing the cobbles while the one from the telegraph pole is heading over towards you. Quick glance over your shoulder shows that there's a bugbear wearing a similar jacket to the one crossing the street. And... Oh, look. Two or three halflings coming from the other side. What the fuck? This is what? Ziva, can can you see me? Yeah, hi. Can you see me? Yes, I can. Do I look different? She looks like five feet tall plus one and a half feet of hair, Ziva. She's not wearing a ball gown anymore and is back into the field clothes that she left Bailey Mina in. But other than that, no, she looks fine. Not the six and a half foot tall fae goddess with, you know, the beehive that goes on infinitely. And Um, and stores actual bees. Um, (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. Okay. Actually, Ziva, you you look the most like you I've seen you since we've arrived. That makes me happy. She says, and the sun shines through all of the windows in the room. Which there suddenly are. Well, I'm going to do a total of 18 on insight. Seems difficult for the sun to be from, uh, come streaming in from all sides at the same time, yes? And the room resolves itself into a four-sided usual occurrence this one is rectangular there are four windows in the far wall and none on the wall behind you siva what what did you just say i said that it was a memory and it wasn't a very good one uh and i hear her correctly that time yes But it was, like, important. Yes. I I believe there's some sort of dream fog here, some sort of 
It's almost as if there was unbounded, free-floating, pan-miasmic thaumaturgy just floating here. Arabet yeah. is breaking out into a sweat. And uh, for all appearances, looks to be exerting himself supremely. Although he's not moving, all of his muscles are tensed. He's breathing heavily and pushing as, like, with great effort to move nowhere and do nothing. I uh, take Ziva's hand and I say... Oh, I wonder if you could build a thing that could, like, suck up the energy. Uh, perhaps. I, I fear we don't have enough time for such an endeavor. Uh, do oh, right. go of my hand, I... I hope that'll keep us in, well, in touch with who we really are right now. I, okay. I do have an idea, though. Um, let, let's go see Arabet. And I'll uh, walk us over to Arabet, and I'll pop out the thumb on Cabulator, spin out a couple of uh, um, uh, widgets and, and spinners, and I'll plop in my, uh, my uh, monocle. And what I'd like to do is think about uh, bringing together a couple of cantrips real quickly and trying to crank up the power. The two cantrips are uh, Guidance and Resistance. Um, and they uh, both give a, they each give a D4, one to Resistance to a Saving Throw of uh, the of the Roller's Choice, uh, and the other one to uh, any Ability Check. Um, can be rolled before or after making the Ability Check, and then the spell ends. So my strategy here, and I'm sort of, going over this with Ziva uh, as well. Um, I think the thing that we need to do immediately is uh, rouse our friends uh, from this uh, dreamy stupor. Although if mine was any indication, um, some sort of nightmarish reliving of past suffering, um, once we are able to get us all awake, perhaps we could escape or think of a, a way to deal with this fog of whatever this devilish fog is. Perhaps we could simply give them some strength to lean on. Now that we can see, perhaps we can help them see as well. What do you think? I think that's good. Because it was me seeing you that brought me out of it. Ziva roll Arcana. That is a 15. Plus... Plus 5. 8. Oh, plus eight. That's right. Cause you're, yeah. Uh, okay. So that's 23. Now what he's talking about is going to need you to mend, to meld a few different, you know, theorems and run a couple of different logarithms through these various thomic matrices and just see how it goes. So you start doing the math in your head and you see that Ziva's doing that, uh, multiplying 18-digit numbers in her head, you yep. know? And, uh... Like, you can almost see the the uh, calculations, like, floating around her. I've seen numbers. It was a good show. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, Ziva, so you've got an idea of how to parse this in some sort of uh, thomic parlance that he might be able to translate into those punch codes or whatever the hell he's using, right? So what she can see me do while, so I see her doing that. And my idea is uh, I'll take um, 
I'll, I'll take uh, the Apocoptric um, Mantra Veins. I can actually pop them out. There's six of them. So I'll actually uh, put five of them uh, at points around Arabat because he's standing still. Leave one in the Thumbo Encabulator. And what I'm going to try to do is spin up three cantrips, but hold them in a holding pattern around them so they can all go off at the same time. And then she can do whatever she needs to do as well. And those three cantrips are uh, resistance uh, and uh, guidance. And I, I, I've already modified my thinking based on Ziva's uh, very clever analysis and light. I think a bright light uh, right in front of their face is going to be the trigger uh, to to. Uh, break them out of the reverie. I, I and I look over Ziva meaningfully. It is my experience that I don't need to explain anything. That she typically just sees this stuff, and I raise yeah. one eyebrow, <laughs> and I I nod. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's almost there, Ziva, but he's missing the. No, he forgot to carry. The, holy fuck! No, that and the exponents are off there. Oh. This is not going to go. You've got to get this. I need you to spend a spell slot and roll an arcana. Okay. That's a natural uh, 20. All right. Well, it, then in that case, forget spending the spell slot. Um, Calder, you have it up, and then Ziva just reaches out with her wand. And I, how does how this works? She smacks the code so that it sorts itself out things are a little bit jumbled the way you put it in evidently she gives it a thomic smack and the code sorts itself out and starts firing properly it would have burned your matrivain yeah 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 had you run it as written it probably would have been too hot for a single matrivain um with ziva's adjustment like that I feel like Tank in the Matrix running an op and something's going to go wrong and she literally can just reach into the screen and just fix it. I'm like, I don't know how that just worked, right. but that feels like goddamn magic that. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like, I don't understand the way you do it, but yeah. With you, it's all about the uh, the mathematics of entropy, right? It's all about the math. You can figure out, like, I mean, statistically, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero, right? It's, I don't know, it's super difficult to explain. Because I kind of, like, it's not that I don't understand it in my brain, but, like, I don't understand how to make it in words. That's just how it goes. Yep. And as she's talking, uh, Calder actually seems to wake up a bit. But not from this magic fog or accursed fog, but from the reverie of getting lost in the depth of this. And he just remembers what they're doing. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, of course. But um, let's see if we can wake Arabet. Right. And I look, I look meaningfully at her and I'm ready to push the button. Yep. I push the button. And the charge fires. Arabet. Mm -hmm. The uh, sauna has been befouled, and it's your job to go clean it out. Saru doesn't want to. He's drunk. What else is new? So you're mucking out the sauna, and you 
you know, take your bucket and you clean it out and all the all the mops and shit and you're dragging it all back to the closet and you know, you come out and there's these two guys unconscious in the foyer and Saru is hauling their ass out. Because of course, he's supposed to teach you how to fight, yet sends you off to clean every time. It's a bunch of bullshit. It's the worst teacher ever. How'd you do that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Skills, my boy, skills. That's how you do it. (laughs) I'll show you. One day, you'll see. First, uh, how'd you get that? Did you get that sauna cleared out? uh, (laughs) Because I'll tell you. What a workout. Need to go and uh, relax a bit. Got my mullet up there, you know? Oh, don't I know. And big, fat, invincible fucking Saru goes uh, strolling past you. There's like, he's like, kick the shit out of these guys. There's blood in the walls in the foyer, right? This is your mother's house. It's gone and, you know, knock teeth out and there's compound fracture of this guy's humerus and he's bleeding all over the fucking carpet. You know, and now you have to move these guys out. What a bunch of bullshit. So you open the front door and roll the least injured one out into the gutter because this is Copper Penny Row and uh, there's, he's not alone, right? When uh, you look across the street, there is an all-consuming light which lifts you up off the ground and consumes you with its brilliance. Roll a constitution saving throw. So if we're going just with uh, the um, resistance, that's an extra D4. If you want to amp that up at all, then rock and roll. I do, actually. I want you to roll a constitution saving throw with the D4 and advantage. And advantage? Why not? They did a good job of working on that scene just to wake you up. So let's give them what they deserve. Here's where Chris's luck abandons him. I got an 11 on the first roll and 19 on the second roll. Well, all with a plus one, so that's 20 on the second roll. We love that number, it seems. You are lifted up off your feet. Every atom in your body transforms into bright, shining, searing, burning light. And when you collapse onto the floor again, you are in a steamy laundry room where there are piles of freshly laundered and dried shirts waiting to be pressed and folded and sent back to their owners on a table all around you. smells like detergent in here. Starch. Although there is nobody in the room with you, your eyes quickly adjust to the difference between the gloom and the brightness from the windows and you see the familiar hematite glint of the scales of your friend Calder. A moment later, from out of the swirling steam, which seems to permeate the room, the purple beehive and softly glowing purple eyes of your friend Ziva. Erebats, is that you? We've got to get out of this place. Oh, good. Ah, yes. My friend, we do. But first, we must wake the others. Ziva, do you think this will work yeah. for each of them? 
I think so, yeah. So uh, this is why I was trying to find something with cantrips, because I knew that I had to do it probably many times. So we will. Uh, d- so taking a quick look, does uh, does it look like any particular member of our uh, rapscallions are uh, in more distress than others, like more sweating or in some although, kind of pain or something? Although it doesn't seem to work like this in the canon rules, what you have done is uh, written a first level spell for the first time it's just a one-off cast it's a one-off casting sort of thing right so the next thing you have to do is burn another first level no worries got it yep slot one of you has to do it right so i'll burn the first last time all right i have three more all right. Well, now that it's adjusted and everything like that, the uh, the code seems to run. You've uh, you've done a couple diagnostics. The bugs in the thalmocabulator, those were firmware based, and so like a quick tweak of this and that, and a few settings and a switch here and there. It's running perfectly. Um, it's nothing to turn around and zot whoever. Sorry, and jolt whoever next. Who are you gonna hit with this thing next? Does anyone look like they need it more? If not, the closest one. Timothy is looking really bummed out, and uh, Nari is looking really pleased with himself. Like, he's got yeah, this grin on, face and, grin on his face and his one hand tucked behind his back, and he looks like he's actually having a smoke as he rocks back and forth from heel to toe. Of course, Nari, fair way to have a party. Uh, Timothy next. Aww. Poor Timothy. Look at his face. I want to hug him. Uh, not, not a laughter. Not, not, not a laughter. That's why I, I said I want to hug him. <laughs> and then I zot him. Okay, Timothy, wisdom save with advantage. I have 14. What's your spell DC, caller? Uh, he gets a plus D4 as well. Oh, that's right. You want my save? I have 19. There you go. There you go. Okay, Tim's the bunch burnt. Your dad's going to beat the skin off you, but, uh, you know, later on today, you're going to meet Arabet for the first time in person, and that's not so bad. Wait a minute, gonna? What the? You're having a memory. That's what this is. That's right. You're not 12 anymore. You our handsome tin, the newest of Arabet's crew. So, this must be a dream. As you lift your head, you look up, and there's Arabet, pouring sweat, looking exhausted, as though he's just done some Herculean work, uh, standing next to Calder, and then Ziva. I just look up and don't say anything. Are you okay? Yeah. Do you need a hug? Sure. I give him a look. Good, 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 good. I give him a hug. It's a cold hug, physically, but she means well. Necro yeah, hug. That's the, th- that's yes. the thing. <laughs> that's the thing with Ziva's hugs, right? Like Ziva, yes, Ziva's pretty. Yes, Ziva has a certain appeal in uh, you know, to those who like pale skinned women. 
she's curvy and lovely and has all her hair done and all the and she's perfect in every regard as far as appearance goes but lacks physical warmth to the touch she's like a sculpture right like something that's meant to be looked at not touched however lately ziva hugs are just the best i like hugs you're gonna get the hang of it one day but you're getting it like you're really getting it it's much better than it was it's not awkward people don't run now right they don't struggle so much anymore no, they don't try to get away hardly at all. <laughs> does that does that leave just Nari? Yes, yes, just Nari. He seems to be enjoying himself. So I look at Ziva. I look at Ziva. I'm like, do we have to wake him? <sighs> yes. Oh wait, do you have a do you have a marker? Of of course. What what sort? I reach into my voluminous uh, tool pockets. He I grab one and I uh, I walk up to Nari as he's all dazed, uh, and I draw a mustache on his face. Oh it's my god, this is amazing! Fair enough, absolutely fair enough, but noteworthy, Ziva, as an academic and scholar of note, Calder has some. Fucking sexy pens in his collection. Yeah, I'm really trying not to get distracted by those right now. Like, it, it, it's an effort for you to just grab the cheap one with the thick nib to draw on your brother's face. Because he's got some mechanical ones. He's got fountain pens. He's got clockwork pens. He's got some really cool oh, I pens. I can't. I can't. I can't. Focus. Yeah. Okay. It, so I draw. I, she she pauses for a second while she seems like super tempted, and then she's like, and then she she draws her. It gives him a, a little sort of curly, um, stylely whiplash kind of mustache, and uh, and then okay, you can do the spell now. Excellent. I will uh, presently zot Nari and um, make sure that he's okay. The music is good, and the times are high. You've just graduated from Burgoyne University's law school, summa cum laude, and here you are at this party with some movers and shakers. This sylph goes walking by with a tray of drinks and uh, shoots you a look as she goes. You snag a flute and have a sip and turn back to the person you're talking to, who's an elf called Greenleaf. An insufferable prat, if ever you've met one. He's vicious and uh, specializes in estates. And uh, what's he What's he going on about right now? Uh, talking about... I took a 30% commission for myself off of all of them because when I wrote the will, get this, I put in a Me Too clause. So I got to charge him all five times. Read your paperwork. Am I right? Nari, was it? Yes, yes. That's devilishly clever. I'll have to remember that for my own purposes. Well, I, you know, if you... This is the place to work. Stark weather and fair, I'm telling you. This place? For one second. Yes, quite. Um, yeah. Good to see you, sir. Yes, quite. 
yeah, have a good one. That's one of the senior partners. A big old accent, yes, sir. Quite, of course. What a party. So, how do you like your chances? I like them. I don't love them. I suppose there's always something more I could do to stack the odds in my favor. I'm not convinced I need to or want to, but I'm still curious. Uh, what is the easiest way to apply a bit of leverage here? Well, I don't know about you, but I've got my eye on her. I think I'm going to fuck her one way or the other tonight, either in bed or out of something. We're going to find out which it is. Good to meet you, Nari. Follow Greenleaf. You come check me out for a will. Oh, sort of raise my glass as I turn away just before he sees me roll my eyes. He pointed at one of the old dudes. Uh, he was all deferential, calling somebody sir that wandered around the party. Yes. Well, I'll try and keep an eye on that guy uh, without, you know, staring at him or anything. Just to make sure I sort of keep uh, keep tabs on the uh, on the big wig. He's an elf of indeterminate years, which could mean he's forty five, or he could be five hundred and sixty. They just stop aging after a while. Unlike your own kind, who generally only make it two centuries. He's a high elf, so fuck. When if when is somebody going to kill him? Really, is the question, right? They they measure their lifespans in eons. He's a five thousand dollar suit and a six hundred dollar haircut, and he's wearing more mithril than the navy owns. And he seems to be a big deal. Everywhere this elf goes, he gets his ass kissed. This, you would assume, is Starkweather. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to, like, you know, wander around over to him, but I'm going to see uh, if I can scope out more of the party. Uh, Greenleaf and that poor sylph he's stalking in relation to this guy. Because if I can set up some sort of chain reaction, quote unquote, accident that I can be there and be the hero for. Why don't you describe it? Full detail. Well, this uh, this Greenleaf fellow, he's uh, he's had a few. He's, uh, he's he's a little full of himself. He sees that this sylph girl is, uh, you know, off, uh, you know, getting a little bit of a uh, little uh, refresh on uh, her tray of drinks. Uh a lot of people have been having a lot of champagne tonight. Uh, and he starts making a beeline towards her as she's leaving with the fresh tray of drinks, all full and delicately balanced. Just happens to stumble a bit. The rug's just a little torn up and shifted around from people m- moving around and even dancing a little. Stumbles and trips and collides with the poor uh, young girl, knocking her, tumbling and s- staggering, and barely keeping the tray up towards the big boss and the group of people, when I step in heroically and catch the tray and the poor lady and keep them both from falling. Just in the nick of time as uh, the big boss notices the train wreck coming towards him. Burn a spell slot for minor illusion. Yeah, there we go. That exact chain of events happens, Eric. Man, it's like Fred Astaire, except as you're dipping the waitress who has slipped... You have her tray of drinks held aloft 
in the fingers of your other hand. It's fucking suave, Nari. Well done. Take a fate dice. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, sir. Well done. Hulu, is it? Yes, sir. I am Irion Starkweather. You know of me? I regret I've not officially made your acquaintance, sir. I have noticed you in the party, of course. Of course. How could you not? We have noticed you. That was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Such panache must be rewarded. We'll be sending a factor around forthwith. You will be assigned a clerk's position. I trust that won't be a problem. I look forward to receiving him, sir. Do you have any questions, Mr. Hulu? None at the moment, sir. I'm most gratified, though. Thank you very much. Do you enjoy a cigar, Mr. Hulu? I certainly do. These are Codian. Please enjoy. And he hands you a fat, fat cigar from Acodia. And Acodian tobacco is the best. So you bite the end off and have a... Well, you don't bite it off. You slice it off like a gentleman and have a nice long draw of it and exhale a large puff of smoke as you make your way out onto the balcony. And you just kind of fold your one hand behind your back and draw deeply. And finally, Nari, it's been a long time, but you made it. Make a constitution check. Or constitution save, please. That is a 15. Plus a d4. Does he get advantage? Yep. 16. It's a good fucking cigar, but uh, like you, you, you take another big drag and the thing just completely turns to ash. Then, like, there's a smart, the sharp smell of chlorine in your nose. And you've been fucking enchanted again. God damn it. Like, credit where it's due, it's been months since you've had to deal with this shit. But how about that? A trapdoor? Well played, whoever played. The rest of you are just kind of shaking off what seems to be a terrible dream. And that's when you see the faintly painted glyphs on the door jam that you walk through. Of course. Fucking oogie boogie sorcerer shit. Tim? Ziva? Oogie boogie shit? Where? You like oogie boogie shit? That's like my thing. And the dice hate me. I rolled a two. Plus eight, so ten. Fucking Philistines. Oogie boogie shit indeed. Fine mystic science here. Ugh. <laughs> I'm just grumpy. Timothy, sure enough, there was a trap on the door. Look at that. Everybody's awake and everybody's aware, and you're the one, you're the first one, Nari, who saw the trap on the door. Uh, all right. Enough of this, uh, I suppose it's enough of this uh, friendly politeness stuff. We're uh, we're dealing with uh, some unseely nonsense here. 
I think it's time to stop thinking about uh, going to visit our dear old mother and using the front door to enter facilities. We need to start uh, breaking windows and cursing and yelling and screaming and making uh, making this an unpleasant scene for the people around us, I think. Caller, make a constitution save. Fourteen. So dizzy. So dizzy and tired. You just... I think I'll just... You know, it's a... Uh, and just like that, all at once, seven feet and three hundred pounds of dragon hits the floor like a ton of hammers. Hey, remember that guy we mentioned the last episode? Shakir? Let's check in. Hey, Shakir. Yes? You and Dugan round the corner to see what is probably the most beautiful person you have ever laid your eyes on in the whole world, ever. Any step you've ever taken or breath you've drawn has shown you no greater beauty than this. And once that five seconds of, oh my goodness, wears off, you notice that there are obviously five armed people converging on her. Well, that can't be. Do good, my friend. Let's yeah. even this up a bit. Uh, okay. Um... So he like he's patting his pockets and pulls out his little palm pistol. He's got like a a little four shot revolver that he keeps in his pocket. He's not the fighter, you know. So he goes strolling over. He's like, "Hey, fellas, um, is there a problem with this here? This doesn't look really hospitable, my friends." Out of nowhere, this skinny half fling dwarf person, somewhere in mid size between a halfling and a dwarf, anyway, Delilah comes strolling out. Just starts talking to these four people who are convert these five people who are converging on you. Uh, miss, is, you know these fellies? I certainly don't. Well, that's, uh, boys, uh, I, I can see that she's, she's lovely. I mean, knock the eyes right out of you, but honestly, hey, Bugbear Joe, what's going on? Hmm, Coogan, what's happening? Yeah, so, um, didn't you used to work for Thrasher? Yeah. Oh, right. Um... Yeah, listen, she's... I'm afraid she's with my friend here. Right, Shakir? Yes, my friend. Uh, Look, I, I mean, he'll be handling her appointments. If uh, you would like to make one, don't bother her, okay? And with that, Dugan puts on his winningest smile, and, you know, you can see he's reaching into his pocket for something. Delilah, your, your turn. 
Delilah flashes a smile at Shakir. Shakir's about, oh, about 6'1", swarthy skin, black hair, um, somewhat close cropped, uh, seems like perhaps once a military style, and he's finally letting it grow back out again. Uh, 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 chin strap beard, soul patch, um, nice clothes. Uh, you can't really see much of his left side because he wears his cloak so that it hangs completely over it. Although you can obviously tell he's wearing a sword, uh, which his right hand actually happens to be on at the moment. Um, <laughs> not model handsome, but, uh, has the kind of cocky confidence that makes him look better than he probably actually does. Very cool. So that's what you see when you flash a smile at him. And when you look back, you see that these halflings are just like, yeah, they're short. They have really nondescript features and they don't appear to be easily, like they're not easily gendered. It's the only way to put it. You know, they are the most, they're just halflings. One leans over, pats the other one on the upper arm, leans in, mutters something. That second one nods. And then they just kind of look at Shakir, nod, and back off. Shakir keeps an eye on them, but looks kind of focuses on the others and kind of tilts his head as if to say, so are we doing this? So that's when Dugan looks at the bugbear and then the bugbear goes, <sighs> Our boss would like a word with you, miss. Do tell me who I'll have the pleasure of addressing. Bugbear Joe. Who I work for is uh, trade secrets. Then how am I going to know how to have a word with them? You can uh, accept the escort my friends and I were about to offer you before your date showed up. Little spot of palmistry, Delilah. First date. Woman like you can't be that desperate for a husband or you'd have one by now. So what's with the soothsaying? Miriam and I go back a long time. None of my business. So, would you like to come with me or uh, is this going to get messy? She takes a quick look at Shakir and then back at Bugbear Joe and says, Sure, we'd be glad to come. This way, please. Shakir will walk up to Delilah and offer his arm uh, for her to take as uh, as they walk. Around the corner, there is an old Black Mariah where they Joe opens the door with his like. That's the thing with bugbears when they're standing there with their arms by their sides. You know, they they just look like a goblin with longer arms 
it's when they reach out from their body that you see how long a bugbear's arms actually are. And like they just seem to extend and unfold, you know. Uh, he's about six or seven feet from the carriage, reaches out and opens it. And Joe is only about seven feet tall, right? I say only because he's a bugbear, but. He opens the carriage and uh, gestures to let you in. Delilah gracefully lets Shakir help her in. Oh my god, Calder! I whip out my rapier and look around the room. The bandage on his chest is bled through maroon and is like starting to stain the floor in a noticeable pool. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, somebody's got to do something. Plenty of fresh bandages around. I'll grab uh, whatever the cleanest shirt (laughs) and (laughs) see if I can get in there and staunch anything. The door opens. There is the mo- there is the most disdainful face that you have ever seen on a woman. She has long, elegant ears, and she is dressed in shades of saffron and umber. This is Lady Umber, one of the six nobles who is attending the Vicomtesse's peace summit. She has a look at all of you and says, Very amusing. Can we get on with this? Are you intending to come back to the summit or are we finished? Uh, yeah. We should be? I'm confused. Well, I'm not. I have a wounded man here. He needs help before we do get anything else done. Right. But all gods, living and dead, we're not monsters here. See to the noble dragon's wounds. And these two fey people, one of them that looks like a gnome, but with a flowered beard, Accompanying him is a young maiden with like a cascade of daisies for hair. They're flowery anyway. They come bustling in and look at Calder and the guy with the flowered beard pokes around and says, Ah! Red iron! Terrible wounds! Terrible indeed! Get him! Take him with this this way. Hop, hop, hop. And a bunch of, now these easily recognizable as boggarts, come in and bear the unconscious dragon up off the ground and take him away as Lady Umber gestures for you to follow her. I stick close to Calder. Follow. Panicking. We return to the Violet Villa. It is the next morning. 
Ziva, you've been up all night. Arabet, you couldn't keep your eyes open past ten. It's been an exhausting day. You feel as though you've been rolling bodies out the front door all afternoon. Because in a sense you have. Timothée, this is strange. Things just keep shifting and moving and writhing around. It's very odd sort of sensation in fact you're standing out on a pavilion where like you should be in the fish street market based on where your mind tells you you should be in bailey mina you should be in the fish street fish market like down the other end with bronze tusks way up at the other end of the street on like right next to copper penny road right you shouldn't be this high off the ground there is a tower here but it doesn't look like the balcony you're standing on. Also, the Thieves Highway makes absolutely no sense as to how you know it. You can see the paths across the rooftops, such as they are. The whole mess looks different every time you take your eyes off it. It's starting to give you a headache. But you've been in the room with Ziva all night while she frets and paces and moans, along with Nari and Arabet, who passed out on a couch as soon as he got here. Yeah, maybe I'm just tired. I'm going to be sitting, gathering, got a couple of just basic things from uh, whatever pantry I can get to, and... Just sitting and sort of laying out, a, laying things out and making them safe, making sure that, that they're not just a whole bunch of fairy food that'll make things worse for people when they're waking up and trying to get Ziva to eat something in the meantime, too. You force like half of a bite of a sandwich into Ziva over the course of the evening. In the morning, the flower-bearded fairy comes into the room. His hands are stained to the elbows with the maroon-colored blood of Dragonkind. Well, he says, I've got some bad news. Oh, no. I couldn't get him quite the way he was made. You see, we don't have anything like that here, and so... To effect the repairs, I had to use what was to hand. You see. What do you mean? He's awake now and uh, can see you. Okay. And she'll start to move into the room. She'll kind of knock. Anybody else going with him? Arabet, you uh, wake up when this guy pops into the room and you've got a dagger in your hand and you're blinking off to sleep and uh, you don't pin him to the door for what it's worth because you realize you're not at home. And he might belong here. Okay, right, that's where you are. Good sleep. I'll, when I see him sort of settle back down, I'll gesture like uh, there's bagels if you want or, or whatever there was. Uh, but otherwise, and I'll yeah follow with Ziva, checking doors before I step through them. Just extra paranoid and knocking on things and poking everything with my boot. 
I follow them without touching the food. It's too bad there's not more salt around, eh? But you couldn't see the, like, Nari did salt the bagels while you were asleep. But you don't notice when you get up. So you get up and you walk down the hall and you notice that uh, this, like, Nari seems to be looking at every door jam and piece of furniture as you head down the hallway of this really opulent and extraordinarily purple villa to a great big open bedroom where sits a giant, like, and I do mean 20 feet on a side, cubic four-poster bed draped in purple silks, satins, and velvets. In the middle of this bed, seeming incongruously small for the for all that he's the largest member of the party, is a recumbent calder. His uh, coat hangs on a coat tree, his belt with all the pouches and things next to it, and his thromboencabulator in its holster on the belt. He has been stripped to the waist, and in the center of his chest, where the big rend was through his scales and into his skin, the wound that just got deeper the further he ran from it, there is a copper construction, which appears to have been hammered into his scales. Now, Calder, the weird thing about this thing is that you can't feel it. Like, you can touch it. It feels like copper to your fingers. You don't feel it from the inside when you touch it. I mean, like, you can, it doesn't feel like touching your chest. It feels like touching something on your chest. When you push it hard enough, you can feel it deeper. But there it is. It, like, like, all the way deep. inside to your ribs. Well, that's fascinating. And it clicks and it whirs and it has a window. You're almost grown up, right? And because you're not all morphed and crushed, your neck is long enough that you can have a look at your own beating heart through the window, which sits just above it. Oh, my. As my heart beats, can I feel current through the copper? Yes. Oh, that's that's quite lovely. You're poking at this and looking at it when the door opens. So, like you take you straighten your neck out and lean your head back, and you see that Ziva is the first in the door, and she looks fucking frantic, man. You are you okay? Called her. Takes a deep breath and looks around. I, I believe so. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what happened. Do you need a hug? Um, I, yes, please. She runs over and hugs him. Very, she runs over and she goes to about to you know sort of throw herself at him and then she stops and leans down very carefully. And gently hugs him. 
<clears throat> how does the hug feel? And um, <clears throat> how do my arms feel when I try to uh, reciprocate? Sort of just checking on my overall uh, health and strength. You feel pretty all right now, Ashley. You're pretty tip top. There is that big blank spot that you can't feel, like in the center of your chest. Oh, and a window in the center of the me- like a window in the mechanism in the center of your chest, through which you can see your beating heart. But um, I mean, apart from weirded out by that, physically you don't. You've never felt better. Uh, then I'll give Ziva a tight hug back. All right. Well, don't get too involved. This will hold him when he gets home. However, it's not the best for here, you see. Well, you will see. Well, I think it's amazing, and I'm just so happy you're okay. Well, it won't last long here, you see. It needs a different kind of logic than you'll find here in the dreaming. You need to get on either side of this thing and stay there, I'm afraid. Yeah, I really want to go home. Really, really, really want to go home. The offer stands. I can send any of you that you need, I I think, back home. We're all going together. I told you that's not even a conversation. Stop it. Well, I would send him directly if I were you. Oh, no, no. I'm. Don't even think of it, Nari. Yes, I... I'm sure you understand the nature of a patient who refuses treatment. And I'm afraid my assistant and I are not leaving your side until you do, my friend. That mechanism is not at all suitable for the whims of the dreaming. No, I don't imagine it is. But once we return, well, this is nothing short of fascinating. Hey, wait, do you guys know how to get out of here? No. Damn it. We're a fairy. This is not our home either. At <sighs> any rate, it's time we were introduced. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm Ziva. You're still calling yourself Ziva. Sorry? I see. Oh, right. Where's my baby Sia? Hmm. And with that, Mercurialis turns. He just turns his back on you and starts fucking poking at the thing in Caller's chest. He adjusts, uh, he adjusts something that you didn't realize was a dial, Caller. Suddenly there's a, you know, like when you, you turn your back a little way and it cracks and it feels like so much better. Yep. Well, that happens to you, except it's your skin. And uh, the skin on your ribs just cracks away. And you feel a lot freer, like it's easier to breathe. Oh, my. That's much better. 
Oh, it looks like you're having a molt, old boy. This is terrible for you. You shouldn't be molting so soon. No, I shouldn't. Ah, bugger. Well, if you refuse to go, I suppose you must stay. I'll be right back. As soon as he, uh, as soon as he leaves, uh, I got my monocle out, and I'm just fascinated by this thing, and I'm just inspecting it. Okay, well, you're checking it out, and it's, uh, like I said, the device appears to have replaced everything that was damaged by that terrible red iron wound you took. Which, you didn't mention to anybody because they were also into whatever else they were doing. And, like, you know, saving their lives. Uh, just all of the things that you do for these people that never gets mentioned, Caller. While you were doing all of that, you uh, you noticed, like, the, the wound, it, it just got worse by the minute. Like, it just kept getting deeper and harder to breathe. And, like, more blood and dizzier. And di But, I mean, you lasted at least. And thank goodness somebody was here to fix you and... You're not entirely sure if Ziva was behind that. They seem deferential to the file of VCOM tests, and you seem to understand that Ziva is her, but you just heard that, which was puzzling. Very puzzling. Very puzzling. Um, I think overall I'm uh, just completely taken with this device. Um, and, uh, like a moth to flame. Hey, Ziva, what's that? Something catches your eye from the corner of, just the corner of your vision. And when you look over, it's, it's wee Ziva. She's at the end of the hall. She giggles and kind of does a, a, a like a, a lee, like, like one of those forward lurching giggles, covers her mouth and winks at you with one of those big purple eyes and jerks her head and runs off. She has Sia. I need her back. And I just follow. So, while the boys get to debating, you wander off down the hall. Now, Joe... And his compatriots aren't leaving you much of a choice but to get in. Apart from that, they don't really seem too terribly aggressive. Sort of as long as you go along, nobody needs to get hurt. So. Uh, Shakir offers to help Delilah in. The Mariah is the typical thing, the mid-range sedan-style carriage for getting around the city. This one is still drawn by beasts. In this case, it's a team of ostriches. This team of four ostriches draws your cart through the city, up Copper Penny Road, probably five or six blocks, until it pulls over in front of a restaurant marked Cerulean's Loot. The driver disembarks and opens the door for both of you with a broad bug bare hand gestures towards the front doors of the place, which are opened by the door staff. 
who appear to be a an older sort of maybe 80 to 90 year old Goliath, late middle aged anyway, and an orc. And what do you say about orcs? They're all great big brick folk. This one has her hair tied back in the traditional braids. But, uh, you know, she's dressed professionally and clothing that fits her closely enough it doesn't bag out and get caught up. And uh, it's hard to grab hold of if you're grappling. So they open the door and uh, allow you access into the restaurant. Once inside, you are greeted by a half-elven hostess who takes you through the tables and sets you down with your menus at a table overlooking the harbor. Incidentally, probably the best view of Bailey Mina either of you have seen in quite a while. Now, Shakir, you have been up in the clouds and the towers recently, so that's saying something. Uh, was this a scheduled appointment that you had? No, this was a more impromptu gathering. May I have the pleasure of your name, sir? Yes, my name is Shakir. Shakir Askari. I'm Delilah Del Rey. It's a pleasure to meet you. The pleasure is mine. I appreciate your willingness to join me on such short notice. I could not stand for the rudeness with which those gentlemen were treating you. Oh, don't let them hear you call them gentlemen. That might be an insult. She looks at him thoughtfully for a second. Aren't you an unusual specimen around here? I am not from around here. I admit, I had kind of guessed. It's the hair, right? Can never get the hair right. Yes, the hair. That's definitely what it is. So as you open your mouth to answer her, Shakir, there's a hobgoblin standing by the table with a tray bearing two glasses and a bottle of claret that if it wasn't open, Delilah, you could probably sell for a month's worth of operating expenses. Good evening, Miss Del Rey. Good evening, Master Thrasher. It's a pleasure. Would you mind awfully if we joined you? Of course not, please. We? There's a halfling girl who steps out from behind him. Her hair is braided in a business-like fashion, and she appears to be in her late teens and so has that awkwardness of late adolescence. She um, gives you a wide berth as she goes around to her seat, draws herself up into a chair, and sits quietly with her hands folded in her lap, kicking her feet off the chair as she looks out the window at the ships on the harbor. Thrasher, for his part, sits down in the chair which bears his frame with a creak. He leans back and looks at Shakir and says, I don't have the pleasure of your name, mate. Who are you? Uh, I am Shakir. I take it you know who I am? I do not believe we are acquainted. 
Well, my name is Thrash Al Cool. I'm better known in these parts as Thrasher, and this is Copperpenny Road, which is my district, according to the Thieves Guild of Bailimina. As I said, I am Shakir, and I was just passing through. Excellent, Shakir. I like the way your story didn't change. Most people like to puff themselves up. I can see by the way that you carry yourself, you're a man who doesn't have to. Consider yourself welcome in here, and there's no need for that piece of steel to leave its leather, is there? I see no reason at this time why it should. Very good, sir. Well then, please enjoy this wine with my compliments. Miss Del Rey, I think you'll find this exquisite and exactly to your taste. Now... Willa, do be a good girl and start taking notes. Caller. Yes, sir. You're not sure. Like, you are a little young for a malt. It's normally about 75 for your third malt, right? You drop a skin every quarter century or so. So, yep. I mean, you're, you're a little young for your next malts, but it seems to be starting. Like, the things that cracked away from your sides, like, yeah, you have cracks in your skin. Okay, that's happened. Maybe it's just, like, a big reef of scales coming off. Whatever these things do happen as well. But no, this is like a big flap of skin that's come away from your side. And as you stretch it out, and breathe, you realize that this is another appendage. So, like, you sit forward as they're talking, and there's, like, this sound of leather ripping towards the end of the conversation. And by the time you both look over to see what it is, Calder unfolds, well, dragon wings that aren't big enough to support him in the air. But still... You see him, for the first time, extend his wings, which will one day be mighty, but right now are only probably five feet tip to tip. Oh, my. Like, the hits just keep on rolling. Can I move them? Yep. In surface area, the uh, veins of your wings and the... And the, the flaps of skin between them are only about the size of your average adult snowshoe. Alright. But they're wings and they move and you can cover yeah you can tuck them around your shoulders still you can stand upright you're not long enough you have to walk on all fours all the time. Incidentally you are much better at it these days. Right. But as a kid you just weren't. Anyway you got this cool copper thing on your chest, and your wings have sprouted. Kind of a shit start to an awesome day. Huh. Without a hint of irony, I'm going to sort of laugh, and uh, this this feels a little weird to be present for it. As uh, I, It seems like, uh, well, I suppose the analogy for us would be growing your first mustache. <laughs> Speaking of mustaches, the one that Ziva drew on him earlier, 
Yep. It's an actual mustache now. It moves when he turns his head and stuff. I don't say anything. But I'm quite amused. Like, at some point, it became an actual mustache. You're not sure when. Like, you can rewind it. But no, no, you can't really catch when it happened. But nope, there it is. Snidely Whiplash AF. Like, you can't grow a mustache like this. You have to draw one. And there Nari has one. Sorry. Mammals can't grow a mustache like this. It's a proper dragon stash. With lots of wax, of course. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like the one you've had since you were 20, but not as cool. Well then, um, so I'm uh, still recumbent. I'm kind of shifting and moving and flexing these wings a little. You're sitting forward. Your legs are on one side of your tail and you're kind of over on a hip, right? Because laying on your back is uncomfortable when you have a tail as long as your spine. It just gets in the way. So you kind of lie on your side. Think of how often you see a dog lay on their back, right? Or anything. Yep. With a tail. Anyway, so you kind of, you normally kind of lay on your side, but now that you're sitting up a bit, you're kind of sitting up and propped on a hip. Uh, supporting your weight on your right hand thigh and knee and stuff right and elbow as you stretch your wings out to their newly glorious length which really just squares you off at seven feet all right so as i'm sort of exploring this a little and getting a little comfortable i'll cock my head and say what was that you were saying about the right belly mina We just have to get back to the right Balin Mina. How do you imagine we'll know which one's the right one? Well, this place doesn't operate on time the way I see it. Like, Nari, did you notice seven years go by? I... Time flies when you're having fun. Um, and I think there are other concerns on top of that. That's what I mean. I think I think this is all dependent on the season. Arcana, Nari. 23. The seasons, of course, it's the spring, the season of growing. If you don't get Calder out of here soon... He's going to be a problem when you get back to Bailey Mina. Arabet has just hit on something fucking brilliant. Not that that surprises you. The guy would have killed it at any university. You just had the bad luck of being born in a whorehouse. Well, if he's feeling up and uh, ready to go, I mean, I'm very much not taking the lead here. Uh, but I'll sort of take a quick inventory as everyone, it, like, is everyone here? Like, oh, crap. No, I guess uh, Ziva's missing. Just then, Macorialis comes into the room. He goes, I've got it right here. What, what, what is that? 
And he walks over and, uh, excuse me one moment, could I just have a look at this? Yeah, there you go, very good. Reaches, reaches up to the device on your chest and pulls or opens the window. Before you can do anything to stop him, he reaches in and pulls out your heart. Calder falls lifeless onto the floor. Well, Mercurialis holds this still beating, partially mechanical heart in his hand. Anybody want to do anything about this? I don't know what to do. With, in the moment that you're all like, oh my fucking God, what the, he hands it to his daughter. And she walks across the room to put it into a previously unseen humanoid frame. Whereupon, Mercurialis goes, if you don't get this dragon out of spring presently, he's going to grow up very, very quickly. Is that what you want for him? Do it, Nari. Do it. Do what he says. Does anyone here have power of attorney? As the quarantine rolls on, my friends, I hope you're all doing well, keeping safe and healthy and together. Thanks for listening. That was episode 11, the tale I call Cold Red. Runelanders was recorded live and curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes by going to runewise.games. That's it, just runewise.games. Like what you hear? We'd love to know what you think. If you like us, tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. You can leave us a comment at runewise.games. Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to runelanders at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Runelanders. Next time on Runelanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We're back in two weeks. We'll see you then. Till next time, take good care.